Psalm chapter 30. We'll start with verse number 1. And the Bible says this. This is the Psalm of David. He says, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. I'm thankful he hears us when we cry to him. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. And I really like this verse right here. This is a very familiar verse to us. Verse number five says, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I'm thankful that no matter how dark the night is, no matter how much the weeping is, it cannot stop the joy that is coming in the morning. Hallelujah. I've got a very simple word in my spirit tonight. When I walked into the prayer room and, and I began to hear the saints of God cry unto the Lord, the first thing that I heard was somebody was praying. They said, thank you, Lord, for keeping me through the night season. I said, all right, Lord, let's see what you're going to do tonight. But I feel a very simple word of encouragement in the spirit. And if I may, I want to preach to you a bit of a play on words. And, and if the Lord will help us by the end of this uh, sermon tonight, it will all make sense. But I want to preach to you on this very simple thought. The sun is coming. The sun is coming. Would you put your Bibles down tonight? And could we ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive whatever he has to speak to us tonight? Oh, God, we thank you for joining us and meeting us in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would touch your servant, that you would anoint these lips of clay, Lord, to preach your word. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive what you have prepared for us tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. If you're going to receive the word of the Lord tonight, would you put your hands together and lift up a praise unto God? Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you may be seated in the matchless name of Jesus. When you turn to, to Psalm chapter 30 in, in your Bible, there's a, a little subheading as there is over most of the Psalms. But this subheading simply reads, A Psalm and Song at the Dedication of the House of David. Now, it's, it's hard to find two scholars who will agree on exactly what this means. That, that uh, tends to be what happens when you start looking at what scholars have to say. Everybody, everybody says something just a little bit different. There are, there are some who think that perhaps this psalm, Psalm chapter number 30, was, it was written to be sung at the dedication of the temple. They think that perhaps David, though he was not the man who was going to build the temple, that, that privilege was going to be reserved for his son Solomon, that maybe David was writing prophetically for the Levites to sing this song at the dedication of the temple. After all, it was David who prepared the silver and the gold that would be used in the temple. And there are some ancient sources that even say that David was the one who built the foundation for the temple. I'm glad to have good foundations to build upon. And this is, and this is very plausible for, for Psalm chapter 30, but... You know, others tend to think that perhaps what is actually going on here is 
that the house of David, it is actually a metaphor for the body of David. Some think that this was a psalm that was written after David had recovered from a sickness and he's giving praise to God for bringing him through this dark season of his life. And I think tonight that there is absolutely some merit to that thought process because the God that we serve, he is indeed a healer. The God that we serve, he really does reach down into the depths of sickness. He, he really does reach down into disease. When, when the doctors have run out of answers and the specialists have run out of ideas, there is really a God that you can turn to. You know, I said it from the pulpit last week, but I want to say it again. Our God likes doing things that are so big, only he can get the credit for it. But sometimes that looks like you having to get to the end of your road. Sometimes that looks like you having to exhaust all of your options before you realize that you are in a place that only God could do something now. Only God could heal you now. Only God could deliver you now. Your Bible tells the story of a woman who had an issue of blood for many, many years. She had went to every doctor in the land. She had spent every single penny she had. We are very familiar with the story tonight. But there's, there's something that is lurking under the pages of that story that it's never outright said explicitly, but I believe that it was as real to her as the ink on the pages are to us. Lurking underneath of this story, when you've gone to every doctor and when you've lost every dime to your name, and the result is, as the scripture said, she was nothing better, but rather she grew worse. When you find yourself in a place like that in life, you fall into danger of losing something much more valuable than money. When you find yourself at the end of this road, you've exhausted your options. You have no more money to try and fix the problem yourself. You are in danger of losing more than your livelihood. You're in danger of losing more than your pocketbook. You are in danger of losing hope. Somebody shout hope. And if you don't believe tonight that the enemy right about that time slipped up next to this woman and started whispering in her ear, then you've not been around for very long. I believe that the enemy in this moment where this woman had come to the point where she had no more options, I believe the enemy came and started whispering in her ear, you've already gone to every doctor, you're never going to find an answer. You've already spent all your money, you're never going to be able to afford anything now. You're never going to recover from this. There, there's nowhere else to turn. You might as well give up. Maybe that woman's the only one who's ever been talked to like that. But I, I think there's a couple people in this room who know what that voice sounds like tonight. You know what it sounds like for the enemy to tell you it's never going to get any better than it is right now. This is the way your life is going to look like forever. You might as well throw in the towel. It's never going to get any better. Your life will always look like this. Well, in case you've forgotten from Sunday when it was said over the pulpit, I want to remind you one more time that the devil is a liar. 
Everything he's ever told you, it was a lie. Everything he will ever tell you is a lie. And I don't care how many times he told you that there are no more options. God is still able to heal your body. I don't care how many times he's tried to tell you that there is no more hope for your situation. That you'll never find breakthrough and you'll never find deliverance. I want you to know tonight that God is always there and God is always able. He'd love to convince you that this is the end, that nothing else can happen from here. That you might as well give up your hope. But I want to remind somebody what Jeremiah recorded in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11. The Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. This isn't Jeremiah, this is the Lord. He says, Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you an expected end. Another translation renders it like this. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Somebody shout hope. I want you to know tonight that as long as you have breath in your lungs, as long as you have enough breath to cry out to Jesus, you still have hope. As long as you can make your way into the house of God and fall upon an altar and cry out to God, whether that altar is in the house of God or it's in your bedroom or it's in your living room, as long as you can find your way to a place where you can cry out to God, there is still hope. I I don't know how close this woman was to giving up. I don't know how many nights she laid awake on the verge of throwing in the towel. I don't know how close she was to hanging up her last bit of hope that her life could get any better. But we do know because the scripture records it for us that when this woman heard of Jesus, that something started stirring up inside of her spirit. Nothing else has worked but if I can get to Jesus. No one else has had the answers, but if I can just get to Jesus. Money hasn't fixed it for me, but if I can just get to Jesus. And she realized there may not be hope in this world, but there is still hope in Jesus. If you believe that, I wish somebody would shout to God tonight. And when she reached out and touched him, she was healed. This is what the psalmist is praising about the God that you and I serve tonight in Psalm chapter 30, verse 1 through 2. When he said, I will extol you, O Lord, for you've lifted me up. You have not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and you have healed me. That crying out, it's the same thing that this woman was doing who had the issue of blood. There is a simple reality that faces us. If we never reach out, we can never touch the hem of his garment. If we never cry out, we never give our God to give, a, to, to give him a chance to hear our cry. And if we lose hope, we will never be healed. But I'm thankful for the reality recorded just a few chapters later in Psalm 120 in verse number 1. When the psalmist said, in my distress I cried unto the Lord and 
he heard me. I'm glad to know tonight that I serve a God who hears me when I cry. I serve a God who hears me when I lift up my voice and I I reach out to him. My God hears me. I don't know what I would do if I served a God that did not hear me when I cried. I don't know what I would do if I knew it, it didn't matter how and how much struggle I was in, how much pain I was in. I could not serve a God who was apathetic to my problems and apathetic to my pain. You know, there's people in this world who are trapped in religions where that is their reality. They bow down to idols that can't hear them. They praise a multiplicity of gods that can never do anything to bring them out of the situation that they are in. I cannot imagine what it would be like to live with that as my reality. But I would like to give a praise report tonight on behalf of the psalmist, if I may, and tell you that I cried out to my God and he heard me. I cried out to my God and he answered me. I cried out to my God and he delivered me. I cried out to my God and he healed me. I wonder if there's anybody in this room tonight that has the testimony that you can say I cried to my God and I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt my God heard me. Oh Lord my God I cried unto thee. And thou hast healed me. This verse is so very powerful. It has not just the surface meaning that he healed my body, but this word healed, it contains an underlying meaning. This phrase, thou hast healed me, it speaks of healing of physical ailments, but it also alludes to healing from spiritual ailments. It speaks of both healing from illness and deliverance from iniquity. See, the earthly ministry of Jesus, it wove in and out of healing illness and healing from iniquity. You find everywhere that Jesus goes, it's just as easy for him to forgive sins as it is to tell somebody, rise up and walk. Luke chapter 5, it tells the famous story of the lame man whose friends climbed on the roof of a house where Jesus was teaching. We know the story well. They, they had so much faith that Jesus could heal their friend. They started tearing apart the roof to get to Jesus. And I hope for their sake it was raining less in that room than it was tonight. Because if somebody started tearing off this roof, I think I'd just go open the door for them. Listen, buddy, it's raining too hard for that mess. But they had a now kind of faith. Luke 5 and 19 says, When they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and they let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. I'm talking about high faith. There was no, well, you know, we could wait till the crowds thin out a little bit. Well, I'll just, I'll just wait till altar call has simmered down just a little bit. I don't want everybody knowing that I need something from God. Well, maybe I'll just wait till, till next Sunday. Maybe, maybe there'll be a few less people. Maybe it'll be easier to get to the altar. Maybe I'll just wait until next week and maybe I can get my breakthrough then. Have you ever noticed in the scripture how many miracles happen because of interruptions? Have you ever noticed that? Jesus didn't have a meeting with the woman with an issue of blood. But she said, I need something to happen now. 
He was on his way somewhere else, and she said, so, uh, Jesus, I know you're busy, but I, I need something now. In Mark 10, Jesus is leaving Jericho with his disciples when a blind man interrupts him and says, Oh, thou son of David, would you have mercy on me? I can't wait another day. I can't wait another minute. Jesus, I need something now. Peter and John are on their way to the temple at the third hour of prayer in Acts chapter 3 when a layman interrupts them. And the miraculous is released in the interruption. The woman with an issue of blood, she got her miracle in an interruption. The blind man received his sight in an interruption. The lame man got strength in his legs in an interruption. And I wonder tonight how many miracles we miss out on because we're in a hurry. I wonder how many lame people and hurting people and and people bound by anxiety and bound by drugs and addiction in this city could get a breakthrough right there, right then, in the the aisles of Walmart, in, in the conference room at your work. I wonder how many people, how many miracles we miss out on because we don't want the interruption. I'm talking about people who don't say, well, just come next Sunday night. You can get your healing then. Well, just wait until Jesus is done teaching inside, and then we can get our healing. I'm talking about some people who aren't afraid to say, well, let's pray right now. Well, well, let's do it right now. Let's call on God right now. Let's see God work right now. But I'm in Walmart. God can move in Walmart. But I'm in a meeting. God can move in your meeting. But I'm on lunch break. God can move in your lunch break. (coughs) I've told this story before when I was in college, and... We had just got out of, uh, out of a meeting preparing for a presentation and, and we were walking to the parking garage and this young lady started telling me that, that her mother had just been admitted to the hospital and she had a, a, a bad disease and they weren't sure how much time that she had left and she just, she gave, you know, the, everybody's heard this, well, just, just pray for her, just, just pray for me. And what they expect is you say, okay, we'll be, we'll be praying for you, we're so sorry to hear that and you go on your way. But I stopped, I said, well, why don't we pray for her right now? And that in a parking garage on a campus university, this young lady burst into tears. Because I don't think anybody had ever said that before. And I just can't help but wonder how many miracles we would start to see in your workplace. How many miracles we would start to see in your school. How many miracles we would start to see in, in your family. If when somebody came to you with a need, you didn't say, well, bring it to prayer meeting. We'll bring it to service. We'll bring it on Sunday. But you just stood there and said, why don't you grab my hand? Let's call on God right now because God likes to work miracles in the moment and that's what these men had they had a now kind of faith because I believe that now faith is the birthplace of the miraculous these men had carried their friend to that rooftop said we got to get this man to Jesus now Because every second that we wait is another second that he stays sick. Every minute that we waste is another minute of him being bound by illness. Church family, I want you to know tonight that every minute we waste is another minute that somebody in this city continues to be bound by drugs and addiction. That every opportunity we miss is another moment, another week, another month, another year, another lifetime of somebody going without their deliverance. But I believe that God is wanting to start moving in the now moments. So they get drastic. God forbid we get a little drastic. And they start tearing apart the roof and they lower this lame man into the middle of this home Bible study. 
Luke chapter 5 and verse 20 records that when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto him, man, be thou healed. That's not what he said. When he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Imagine those friends looking at each other on that rooftop saying, hold, hold on a second. We, we brought him all the way here. We got drastic because we believed that this Jesus could heal him. We tore apart the roof so that he could get his healing. And we lower him into this room and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I thought God was going to heal him. Did we bring him here just for Jesus to forgive his sins? Well, don't worry. He's, he's going to get his healing. But I want you to know that Jesus is preeminently concerned about healing him from iniquity. I believe with every fiber of my being that Jesus is able and is willing to move in our bodies to heal from sicknesses, to heal from illness, to heal from disease. But I want you to know that the heartbeat of Jesus for this community is not just that everybody would walk around healthy and whole in body. But his heartbeat for Anderson is that we would see healing from iniquity. That we would see healing from generational curses. That we would see healing from bondage. That we would see healing from addiction. That we would see people set free the power of Jesus Luke chapter 5 and 24 I, I want to shed some light to you tonight why we see miracles signs and wonders this isn't this isn't brother fry rhetoric this isn't Pentecostal rhetoric this is out of the mouth of Jesus he says that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins he said unto the sick of the palsy I say unto thee arise and take up thy couch and go to your house this isn't something you have to infer from the scripture this is something told to us blatantly Blankly, Jesus said, I'm allowing healing virtue to come into this man's body for this reason. That you may know that I too can send healing balm over the iniquities of your soul. If God has ever touched your body, it ought to be a testament to his goodness that he saved your soul. If God has ever healed you of a disease, let it serve as a testimony to this world that he can deliver them from their sin. If God has ever picked you up out of your deathbed and put breath back in your body, let that breath declare the goodness of God. Let that breath declare that God loved us so much that he robed himself in flesh and died to heal, to deliver, to save. Let the healing testify of his goodness. He is a healer. He heals sickness. He heals disease. He heals anxiety. He heals depression. You don't have to medicate it away. You don't have to numb it. He heals it. I still believe he heals all disease, all in illness, bodily, mental, spiritually. He is a healer. He heals iniquity. The God we serve is a healer. And this is the heart of the matter that the psalmist is writing in Psalm 30 and verse number 2. If you don't have that verse memorized yet, we're going to read it another 55 times tonight. I promise you will have it before we leave tonight. Oh Lord my God, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. There are two very powerful premises that David is declaring 
for us to acknowledge. One, it doesn't matter how sick you get in your body, you still have hope because our God is a healer. And he's also declaring that it doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made in your life, you still have hope because our God is a forgiver. David was a man who was well acquainted with the mercy and the forgiveness of God. You know why? Because he was a man who was well acquainted with making mistakes. He was anointed to be king over Israel. He had everything going for him, but he still messes up. He commits adultery. Then he commits murder trying to cover up the adultery. Great guy. It's the kind of guy you want to hang out with. Not by yourself. He commits adultery, and then he commits murder. And why, why is it that the first thing that happens when you fail, when you mess up, when you fall into sin, is that the devil tries to convince you that nobody has ever failed as bad as you? Why is it the devil tries to convince you that, well, God could have used you, but now well, you've thrown that away. You've messed that up. God can't use you now. Look at what you've done. God isn't going to use you now. Look at the mistake that you've made. The next time the devil tries to tell you that you are too sick in sin to ever do anything for God, I want you to open up your Bible and go back to Psalm chapter 30 and verse number 2 and remind that lying serpent, Oh Lord, my God, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. I don't care how much the devil tries to bring up your past. You can rest assured God has healed all of that. I don't care how many times you fall, how many times you make a mistake. Don't let the devil convince you that it's over. Don't let him convince you to throw in the towel. You just open up your Bible and say I thank you my God because you've healed me of my iniquity John said it like this 1 John 1 and 9 he said if we confess our sins he is, somebody say he is not just sometimes not just for certain people but he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to get that into somebody's spirit tonight. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I want you to know it doesn't matter how much sickness is in your body, that God is still a healer. And it doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made and how many times you've messed up, that God is still a forgiver. Now, I don't know why it's so, it's so much easier for us to say the first one than it is to accept the second one. It's easy to shout and we believe, okay, it doesn't matter how much sickness, God can still heal me. But then you let you make a mistake or, or you fall into sin and suddenly it becomes so much harder to say, it doesn't matter the mistakes because I believe God is still a forgiver. Don't let the enemy lie to you like that. Don't let him convince you of that because God is still able to deliver. He is a healer. That's the kind of God, we said it together, he is no amount of lying from the enemy can change that. No amount of doubt can change that. No amount of sickness can change that. No amount of sin can change who he is. Somebody shout amen. amen. So the psalmist continues. He says, you have healed me. Psalm 30 and verse number 3. He said, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Ancient rabbinical commentary, it interprets verse 3 like this. They say, you allowed me to live by forgiving my sin. 
You spared me from the pits of hell. I'm thankful that he spared me tonight. He goes on, he says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. What is the message of this song that we are to sing? This is the message. This is the message that we are tasked with as the church to take to the world. This is the message. When you see what he has done for me, trust in him that he will save you from your troubles. That's the kind of song the psalmist was talking about when he said, Sing unto the Lord a new song. In Psalm 96 and verse number 1, when he said, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Now watch verse number 2. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Why? To do what? To show forth his salvation from day to day. I want to help somebody understand tonight why the devil fights your mind so hard over your mistakes. I want you to realize why he is scared to death that you will accept his forgiveness. That you will accept God's deliverance. That you will accept God's mercy. Because the devil knows that if you ever realize that you've been forgiven, that you've been delivered, that you've been set free, that you might tell somebody else that they can be set free too. The devil is scared to death that you're going to wake up one day and realize that you don't have to live bound. You don't have to live addicted. He is scared to death that when you realize that, you're going to go to your family and you're going to go to your work and you're going to tell somebody else, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. If he broke my chains, he can break yours too. He's afraid you're going to start telling somebody, my God is a deliverer. He wants you to believe that you're still bound, that you're still broken, that you're still stuck in your sin. Because if he can keep you stuck, he can keep your testimony silent. If you stay stuck, your testimony stays silent. But I want to remind you what the word said in the book of Revelation. The Bible said that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Not the existence of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. And I've come on a Wednesday night to declare in the atmosphere. It doesn't matter how many lies the devil tells. It doesn't matter how many times he tries to tell you otherwise. The blood is still enough. God's forgiveness is still enough. His sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection is still enough. David has made these two powerful declarations to us. One, no amount of sickness can stop the healing power of God. Two, no amount of sin can stop the forgiving nature of God. But there's one more thing that we have to understand about reality with our God. That's in Psalm chapter 30 and verse number 5. When David writes to us, and he says, his anger endures but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. No amount of weeping in the night can stop the joy that is coming 
in the morning. No amount of sickness in your body can stop the healing that is coming in the morning. No amount of sin in your soul can stop the deliverance that is coming in the morning. No amount of darkness in the world can stop the light that is coming in the morning. Darkness can seem pretty daunting. Darkness can seem like it's in control. Darkness can be oppressive and suffocating. But I want you to know tonight that all of the darkness in the universe combined has absolutely zero power and zero authority to overcome the light. Darkness only seems dark because the light just hasn't showed up yet. But you just hang around for a little while longer. And it doesn't matter how dark it's been in the night. It doesn't matter how suffocating the darkness has been. You can write it down. You can take it to the bank. Joy is coming. Somebody say it's coming. No amount of darkness can stamp out the light. Matter of fact, the scripture said that the darkness comprehended it not. Because darkness, as soon as it's met with light, all it can do is flee. You realize that darkness can't even stand and fight? It's not even a match. It is no contest. It is dead on arrival. Because as soon as the light comes, darkness is gone. It has no power no matter how much the devil would like you to think that the darkness in this world is control, you let the light of revival shine in Anderson. The darkness leaves. No if, no ands, no buts. You let the light of the Holy Ghost walk with you in that workplace. And darkness has no choice. It must leave. Because darkness has no power over light. <coughs> A few weeks ago, I, I got up early in the morning to to head to North Carolina. A good friend of mine was having his, his pastoral installation service, and it was that evening at 7. And I realized that if I was going to make the 12 to 13-hour trip to be there in time for service, I was going to have to leave at an ungodly hour of the morning. I also realized something else. I was not going to be able to travel with a pregnant person. I'm going to tell you what. You, you are going to be stopping a bunch. The only thing worse than that is traveling with a car full of teenagers after Congress. I promise you we stopped 427 times between St. Louis and here for bathroom breaks. I'm telling you, it's the will of God when you're on a road trip. You stop one time. When I was on my way to North Carolina, I stopped one time in 13 hours. I stopped at a gas station to fill up the tank, use the bathroom, and I got a cold, pitiful sandwich from the subway in the gas station. Then got back in the car and kept going. That's the will of God for road trips. Somebody say amen. amen. But <laughs> I'm feeling some resistance in the spirit tonight. But I realized that was not going to happen with, with my dear pregnant wife. So as much as she wanted to go to the service, she stayed at home. And I got in the car at an ungodly hour of the morning. And I started driving. I had my, my audio book in because I'm... I'm not cool. I don't, I don't listen to cool music. I listen to audiobooks. That's, that's the kind of fun youth pastor I am. Don't, don't, that's offensive. Don't laugh at me. That, that hurts my feelings. I'm, I'm driving along. It's pitch black outside. I've got, got the windows rolled down. It's that nice, crisp morning air. It's blowing through the car. It's going to be like 128 degrees later that day. So I'm just enjoying the coolness of the, of the day. I, I do want to say whoever's idea was to have a... Uh, 
a banquet after that service in the middle of a field in North Carolina in 150 degree heat. God bless you, sir. Because that was, that was a decision for sure. But that morning, I was just enjoying the coolness of the air, the crisp air coming through the window. And you know what was really incredible? There was nobody else on the road. Nobody tailgating me because I drive like a grandpa. Nobody honking their horn at me. It was awesome. No traffic, no stopping, just me going. Uh, I had been in a conversation with a friend of mine a couple days earlier, and I was telling him about the trip. He said, man, are you, a, are you an early morning driver? I said, oh, no. No, no, I like to get up about mid-afternoon and get on the road and, and drive a little while. I, uh, I was eating with an evangelist one time, and he said, um, man, you know, people always ask me, what's the first thing that you do when you get up in the morning? He says, well, I tell them that I eat lunch. That's, that's the evangelist time clock. That's, that's the kind of time clock that God destined for my life. I believe that. I receive it in the name of Jesus. God did not destine my life to get up at ungodly hours in the morning in the darkness to drive a car. Amen. But I'm driving along, and, and you know, I had the thought. There's no cars around me, no traffic, nice cool air, and I had the thought, this is kind of nice. I think I'm being converted to early morning driving. Bless God. And I had this thought. I thought to myself, me, myself, and I, said, you know what? It'd be okay with me if it just stayed like this for a little while longer. It'd be okay if it just stayed nice and cool and nice and dark and no other cars. I, th- I think I'd like just to drive in this for a little while longer. And I promise, you, I promise you, as sure as I'm standing before you tonight, that as soon as I had thought that, I came around a bend in the road and I saw these light tones starting to come across the sky. And I saw this, this orange starting to come over the horizon. And I saw these bright pinks starting to the flood over the sky, and the bright pinks turned into this bright yellow. And just a couple minutes later, I saw the, the top of the sun just peeking over the treetops. And, and maybe this might be simple to you, but I'm, I'm a pretty simple kind of guy. I like white shirts and black pants. Hallelujah. This might be simple. But this, is what I, this is what I realized in that moment. I realized that no matter how much I wanted it to stay dark for a little while longer, the sun was coming whether I wanted it to or not. It didn't matter how dark it had been while I was driving. You just give it a couple more minutes. The sun is coming. And I want to tell somebody in the spirit tonight, it doesn't matter how dark this whole world gets. It doesn't matter how much weeping happens in the night. It doesn't matter how thick the darkness is, how oppressive the darkness is, how much the darkness thinks it's in control. I want you to know tonight that the sun is coming. And when the sun comes up, here comes joy. When the sun comes up, here comes freedom. When the sun comes up, here comes deliverance because the darkness has no power over the sun. As I, as I drove that morning, my, my mind wandered to the psalmist who said, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. The weeping is real. Nobody is arguing that the weeping is not real. I've had those 4 a.m. Sessions before the Lord as I wept tears onto the floor of my home in my living room asking God why certain things had transpired in my life. I I understand tonight that weeping is real. Struggle is real. Pain is real. But I want you to know something else that is real. There might be tears right now. 
But there is coming a day when God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. Revelation 21 and 4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. I want you to know tonight that the former darkness, it will give way to the light of his glory. I think everybody in this room tonight is very much aware of the fact that we live in a dark world. I don't have to tell you tonight that we live in a society that calls evil good and it calls good evil. I have no doubt in my mind that we are living in the generation that Timothy spoke of in 1 Timothy chapter 3. When he said that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. I'm talking about gross darkness. I'm talking about a darkness that is so thick, you don't have to, to dream it up or conjure it up or pretend like it's there. You can walk down streets and you can walk down roads and you can drive through cities and you can feel darkness. The darkness is real and it is really dark. But I have a simple word of encouragement for you tonight. It doesn't matter how dark this world gets. The S-O-N is coming. It doesn't matter how much this world thinks it's in control. The sun is coming. It doesn't matter how hard the Antichrist pushes his agenda in the end times. He cannot stop. He will not stop. He has no power to stop. He has no authority to stop the sun from coming. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16 says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead, and Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It doesn't matter how dark it gets, the sun is coming. He goes on one more verse. He said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. With what words? The sun is coming. I know it's dark right now, but be comforted because the sun is coming. I know you're weeping right now, but be encouraged. The sun is coming. I know it's a hard season right now, but look up because the sun is coming. I want to speak a word of encouragement over somebody tonight. You've been in a dark season. You've been in a weeping season. I want you to lift up your head tonight and know that weeping may endure for the night, but you can look up because the sun is coming. Joy is coming coming breakthrough is coming revival is coming it does not matter how dark this world gets it has zero power somebody say zero authority to stop 
the light of revival, to stop the light of his glory, to stop the light of his goodness. As the music begins to make their way tonight, I wonder if there is anybody in this place that you've been going through a dark season, that you've been in a weeping, a bitter season. But I wonder if there's anybody in this place who would be willing to praise God for the breakthrough that is coming. The revival that is coming. The, the prodigals and the backsliders that are coming back to the house of the Lord. I wonder if there's anybody who would be willing to praise him for the deliverance that is coming. You say, I don't have the healing in my body yet. Well, why don't you go ahead and praise, praise him for the healing that is coming. You say, my backslidden son, my backslidden daughter, they haven't come back yet. Well, why don't you go ahead and praise him because they are coming in the name of Jesus. Maybe tonight you're in a season of mourning and sackcloth. This is what David had to say about that in Psalm chapter 30 and verse number 11. He said, you have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have, pu you have put off my sackcloth and you have girded me with gladness. He's not denying the fact that the pain was real. He's not denying the fact that there was mourning. He's not defying the fact that he was in sackcloth. But he says, this is why God has turned it around for me. Verse number 12. He said, to the end, for this reason, that my glory, that everything that's within me, that my mind, my body, and my soul may sing praise to thee and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God. I will give thanks unto thee forever. You know what David was saying? David was saying, you know, my life, it's not been perfect. You know, there have been some times in my life where I've made mistakes. There's been times in my life where I didn't think I was going to make it through the night into the morning. But this is what he said. He said, my God has been too good to me for me to stay silent. My life's not been perfect, but my God has been too good to me to stay silent. And I've realized the weeping, it can't last forever because joy is coming. The darkness, it can't last forever because the sun is coming. I wonder if we can lift our hands all across this place tonight as the music begins to play and they begin to sing. I wonder if we can begin to praise him for what is coming. Maybe it doesn't look like it right now, but praise him for the breakthrough that's coming. Praise him for the revival that's coming. Praise him 